Whose idea was it to record a podcast while the election returns came in, huh? On election night? CatsCorner.com podcast, CatsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the West End of Richmond, where it is Tuesday, November the 2nd. Um, I don't know whose bright idea it was to have a podcast on on uh, election night. It was, actually, it was mine. That's what happens. Um, I don't actually know when we're posting this, because I just realized Damon and I never talked about it, which we will discuss here in a moment, but uh, plenty to talk about now that Virginia is at its bye week. The Cavaliers coming off of a... You know, really disheartening, I think is probably the right word. Um, certainly disappointing in, in part because of the result itself. A um, You know, whenever you, you score 49 points and lose by 17, I mean, that's rough, right? Uh, Brennan Armstrong goes out with an injury. Spoiler alert, we're not going to get into whether or not he will or won't play against Notre Dame. We are not in the speculation business when it comes to the quarterback leading the country in um, passing yardage. If you came to the podcast looking for some hot takes about whether or not Brennan was going to play, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Um, but anyway, we will talk about that loss to the Cougars. We will talk about sort of where things are for this team. And frankly, I think we're going to have to have a conversation about the defense, uh, a more frank one than we've had to this point. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody for tonight. Everybody is one managing editor, Damon Doman in Charlottesville. How are you, my friend? Wow, I, I'm feeling a lot of a lot of roles tonight. Apparently, I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, hanging in there. Uh, you know, it's a bye week, so turning my attention to basketball a little bit, I guess. But at Damon Dillman on Twitter and Cass Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game, in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, sixty-six forty-nine. Look. It, it, it's tough to talk about this game without having a conversation about the defense, which we will have momentarily. But I just want to talk first about Brennan Armstrong and how good he was in this game before he went out. Um, 22 of 34 pass and 337, four touchdowns. He did have a pair of interceptions, one of which um, I believe came after his, his apparent rib injury. Again, that's what he said as he went to the sideline. I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not going to be sitting here telling you that the guy's wrong. Um, he also ran for 94 other yards and two scores as well on 11 carries. Um, he was just an absolute, uh, you know, he was an absolute like you know, gunslinger for a while there. I mean, Virginia falls down 21 to nothing, and he leads them back in that huge second quarter. Um, they scored what 35 in the second quarter alone. Um, yep. I, I, how many games have we seen Virginia not be able to do that in a half or a game, let alone you know a quarter? Uh, what did Damon, that, I, somebody had me look up on Twitter how many times they didn't they hit those numbers under Mike London. I forget. I'd have to go back and look it up. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. You're good. Um, let's start here, dude, with with this game now in the rear view. And certainly, you know, Brennan's status it hangs over like a you know a cloud here, right? But given what we've what we've seen from this team, how like what do you what do you take away? Um, not just from you know because I mean the bye week even though it's not the midpoint of the season right there's three games left um, obviously a whole lot still to play for um, you know they only have two conference games left one of them obviously to close the season at home against Virginia Tech uh, the other uh, in Pittsburgh uh, the week before with the Coastal seemingly you know in their grasp if they you know if they're able to go win it um, this is just a very strange sort of situation in a variety yeah. of ways right because on the one yeah. hand you're coming off of this you know, really deflating loss. It's a bye week and you finally get the, the time to, to rest. Um, you know, look, I, I'm not in the business of speculating about whether or not Brennan Armstrong is going to play uh, against the, 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 the fight in Irish, but I'm also not above saying that I think there's a very real chance of Lavelle that Davis might play. Um, maybe less so now, um, you know, depending on, you know, what your, what your preferences are. I, I just think that there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff going into this pot that needs to stir up. What's the thing that matters most to you? Is it the fact that the defense can't 
can't seem to get any sort of consistency? Uh, is it that Armstrong's health just looms? Is it the you know the offense is so you know so dang good? But what's your what's your what's your you know your big takeaway right now? I think it's a, it, it's a little bit of both of those first two things you mentioned, um, leaning toward the situation with the defense because it's just it's untenable at this point, as evidenced by the fact that even before. Armstrong got hurt. He had led them to 49 points on Saturday night, and that game was still slipping away from them. Similar to the whole situation in Carolina uh, back in mid-September, where they had such a big first half to come back, and they put up 39 points and all the yards they threw for that night, and that game still slipped away from them. Um, obviously, if Brendan Armstrong is out any extended period of time, which, like you mentioned, we don't know at this point, uh, what his situation is. We don't know the specifics of what the injury is, let alone how long he's going to be out for if he's out at all. But if he is out for a, uh, an extended period of time, then then obviously that changes the conversation drastically. But if he's able to play, he probably still isn't going to be the same Brendan Armstrong, which maybe limits what they can do offensively, which just makes puts that much more on the plate of the defense for to figure something out. I remember, was it after the Carolina game or after the Wake Forest game when it went, when the four of us were on here and it was like, we joked about it after we finished recording it, that it might've been the most depressing podcast ever recorded uh, just because the situation and the question marks about the defense, it, it was just such a bad situation. And they gradually, even starting with that Wake Forest game, the, the the gradual improvements each week, and then you just have the floor pulled out from under you again last week, and it's now even at a lower point uh, in a lot of ways than it was after that Carolina loss. And I know we're going to get more into that in a little bit here, but yeah, I think right now, and like you were saying, it's such a weird situation in such a variety of ways because – they're coming off the bye, and the first game coming off the bye, similar to BYU, is a big game against a nationally ranked opponent, but it's not an ACC game. And so the, the, the priority right now is winning a Coastal title, winning a Coastal Division title. And so ultimately, yeah, you want to win that Notre Dame game just like you wanted to win the BYU game. But from an ACC perspective, it, it doesn't matter if you win or lose that game. So that just adds to the oddness of this, this final stretch of the schedule here. Um, but yeah, there, it's obviously just, uh, there's a lot to talk about, like you said, and it's just, it's, it's a really unique set of circumstances, which started last Saturday with the whole BYU situation. Uh, plus on top of all that Broncos return to BYU made it that much more unique. Um, and, and yeah, so I mean, we're still two weeks away from another ACC game to talk about, and it's the biggest ACC game they'll play all year. So especially considering we'll see what happens with Pitt this weekend. Um, but anyway, yeah, my biggest concern right now, especially since we don't know what the situation is with Brandon Armstrong at this point, is you got to figure something out with the defense. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I have had a really good time, you know, tracking Armstrong stats and this and that, but I think we got to talk about, you know, the defense in this game. I, I understand that you, you let's just let's just put all the all the cards on the table, right? It's a late kickoff. You're in altitude. Uh, it, it's a it's a tough spot. We know, you know, going into this game that there were several guys banged up on that defense. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, right? 734 yards, though. Like 734 yards. As good as Brendan Armstrong is, he's not good enough if you can't not let the other team have 734 yards. Five, like 588 for UVA is one thing, but they ran for 385 yards. They ran for more yards than Armstrong and the offense passed for. Like, yep. that's hard to, to wrap your mind around. And then look, they, they were 6 of 11 on third down, 1 of 1 on fourth, right? They had an average of 8.8 .8 yards per play, which is fine, I guess. And when you look at the numbers, this is what's eerie. Virginia had a better uh, average yard per play. Virginia was just right there with it, average yards per completion, 15.5, 15.9. .5, 15 
average yards per rush. Virginia actually was better, 8.6, 8.4. The problem, of course, <laughs> is that Virginia only gained 216 yards on the ground, and, and BYU put up 385. The Algier kid ran for 266 and five scores on 29 attempts at a clip of 9.2 per. Um, that BYU was more physical. BYU was more, it looked more prepared. The Cougars were, I mean, right out of the gate. I mean, it was like a, they were shot out of a cannon. Well, um, they pounced, yeah. And, and no, yeah, they pounced. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. No, yeah, no Sorry. pun intended. But I think what, what really is so striking is, is that even after that 35-point second quarter, Virginia goes into the half up. You know, they only scored one touchdown the rest of the way. Now, part of that is, you know, we understand that Brennan got hurt. But some of that, too, is that BYU made some adjustments. And clearly, whatever adjustments Virginia has been making on the defensive side of the ball have not continued, consistently worked. And I think that's probably the place where I am the most confused, frustrated, uh, unsure as to what exactly is happening. What I see each week is, is, a, team, is, a, is a group of guys that, that, that clearly want to be better. You know, these are experienced pieces. A lot of these guys have been around for a long time. Um, you know, there's, there's been, there were some changes early on, right? You saw some, some different sub packages and stuff like that. But clearly, I think at this point, you can say that offensive has kind of figured that out. Um, you know, you look at, you know, Duke, for example, I mean, they were hapless, right? Virginia comes back the next week. Georgia Tech had a lot of success, uh, offensively. Georgia Tech about 570 yards of total offense in that game, 300 through the air, 270 on the ground. Um, the Gibbs kid ran for 132 and a touch. Uh, Sims threw for 300 yards and three scores. I mean, he threw the ball 44 times, which I didn't think that that was going to be necessarily in cards for him. But what I see from the defense is honestly, I, I don't know if it's the 335 as much as, you know, if it's scheme. I don't know if it's fit with guys and the way dudes are fitting together. I don't know if it's communication. I, I know they needed to get to this bye week. I, I think most coaches. When they're, when they're being honest, will tell you they can't make any real wholesale changes. They can't do anything significant until they get to a place where, th where they can you know, have some time. And this is where they are. Um, I, I know that there are a lot of fans out there who are extremely frustrated with the defense. They want to see changes. They want Bronco to take things over. If you, had a, if you could point to one specific thing you know, that Virginia should do defensively other than you know, be you know, tackle better or what have you, <laughs> what, would you what would you point to? Um, Gosh, what's your, what's your, what, you know, what, 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 what arrow are you pulling out of the quiver? Gosh, I mean, I don't know. Go back to the three, four. Uh, it's, it, I mean, I have a lot of the same questions you have right now. It's just, it's it, when you, when you look at the numbers, it's just because you rattled off a lot of things about, you know, late kickoff, high altitude, flying across the country, a lot of things that, that UVA was up against on Saturday night, but it didn't impact the offense. And it, it, it doesn't it doesn't impact all the teams that go to BYU and face those sets of circumstances or else BYU would be racking up, you know, 700 and some total yards of offense a game, theoretically. Um, but it's just I don't know, like I was wondering after afterwards, is this a matter of remember when Bronco was first hired and they brought the three four from BYU and they were trying to make that three four work with a bunch of 4-3 scheme, guys who were recruited to play in a 4-3. Uh, is it maybe kind of the same thing where they want to run this 3-3-5 and now maybe they have to tweak a little bit the kind of players they look for to play the spots in, the, in that 3-3-5? I mean, obviously, they don't have the ideal set of defensive linemen that they would like up front, they don't have that big like like imagine how different that this D line would be with Juwan Briggs in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I think missing him, losing him, was was a significant setback for for the entire defense and for the defensive line in particular. Um, but like no, I, I think we've talked a little bit about Noah Taylor a little bit too. But I mean, he, he just doesn't seem to be as effective the way they're using their linebackers in this three three five as he would be coming off the edge in a three, four. Um, and I know he's one of the guys who obviously isn't hundred percent healthy, but he gets the bye week here to heal up a little bit. But I just, I, I just wonder if they don't have the parts to run this three, three, five optimally. And, and it, it's one of those situations where it's a good idea on paper and they just haven't been able to plug the right guys into the right spots to make it effective. 
um, consistently. And that, I mean, I don't know beyond that, because it's not like, it's not like there are a bunch of, who can you point to and say, this younger guy maybe needs to play a little bit more? Uh, Jonas Sanker, maybe. I know they like Jonas Sanker in the secondary. Well, uh, I, look, I, let's let's have that discussion because personally, I I I understand, you know, and, and we talked about this before the season, right? And Bronco talked about this, like he he hit this head on, right? Which is like, hey, you're not going to be able to come back if you're not going to do something significantly different. And what I've seen from a lot of the 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 sort of um, more experienced guys who came back who chose to come back. You know, some of them have had good seasons. I'm not going to start calling people out specifically, okay? So if you're looking for that, I'm sorry. I'm not going to just dog people. I'm going to speak generally, and I'm going to do that on purpose. Um, but I think it's fair to say that there are definitely pieces of the defense where I would love to say, okay, can I see a younger guy? Now, in part, you know, if you look at the secondary, for example, Cypress had played his way up there, and he got hurt, right? Um, I, I think that whatever the thought process, whatever the, the calculus was for the three, three, five, it didn't, it wasn't predicated on guys sort of playing the way that they have. I, I think the idea with this was to be able to go out and have more flexibility. Um, and we talked about that ad nauseum in the off season about, you know, the benefits of it and, and why, you know, that might be better for them when they're trying to, you know, when they're, if you ran a three, four and you're trying to replace not just one, but two different linebackers, what that is like, what I've seen from the defense this year has been guys who clearly were not um, comfortable in in what they were either being asked to do or they just weren't ever able to execute it consistently um, across you know quarters, halves, games. Um, so I personally, I would love to see some younger guys. I would love to see you know some of those younger DBs get some some burn. Um, now I I don't want to make the mistake that a lot of people do, which is to just assume that some kid, some guy who's further down the depth chart is somehow better right I don't want to make that assumption because I don't think that's fair either to the players who are playing or to the coaching staff who's coaching and I know there are plenty of folks out there who are extremely fired up and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you that not to feel what you feel all I'm saying is like I'm not gonna be calling for people's jobs on a podcast I just not we're just not gonna do that but what I will say is is that the results that we've seen to Broncos continued point which I believe he said the other night or I guess it was Sunday morning right organizations are they get the results that they are created to get i mean i'm but i'm butchering the quote but that's essentially what he said right it, it, he says it all the time yeah yeah and so if he believes that then then what's the answer because you can't come out of the bye week and just think they're going to roll out there with the same dudes playing the same scheme doing the same stuff something has to give something has to change you know regardless of what your status is with brennan armstrong especially if he's out right if he's you know he's if, if the injury is significant and he's not going to be around for a while like, yeah, you got to do something differently. And we've talked about this going back to uh, where they were, you know, pre the Bryce Hall injury, right? They they never really seemed to to right the ship, you know? They had it cooking for a while, and then, you know, the offense sort of took the torch and kind of gave Virginia won games in spite of its defense not being able to be what it had been while its offense became something that it had not been, right? Which was a gift and a curse, right? The offense was better, but the defense wasn't as good. And they haven't really gotten back to playing true complementary football on a consistent basis since then. And I think ultimately Virginia and Bronco Hall, they're not going to be successful over the long haul without that complementary football piece, right? You In the offseason, they made a change. They moved Ricky Brumfeld to cornerbacks. They moved Shane Hunter from linebackers to safeties, and they let – Nick Howell now called the defense on a more, um, you know, he, he no longer had to worry about, you know, the position groups. Now he could look over the defense as a whole. It's hard to look at that decision now and say that it has made any significant improvement, right? Which was the specific intended, you know, stated goal of that, cha- of those changes was to help the defense. And you can't really look at the results thus far and say that they, they have been better. They clearly have not. Uh, what, if you go into the, into this bye week, Damon, and Virginia comes out of it. What do you want to see from the defense? Is it, is it younger kids playing? Is it a different? You want to go back to a three-four? What what would you like to see when they come out of this thing? Yeah, I, I would like to see. I just want to see, just a better. I guess plan would be the best best way of putting it. Just it just seems like like you said earlier, they just have kept rolling out the same the same game plan each week and hoping for the best. And, and that hasn't happened. I, I mean, they've had some injuries. They have a better idea of how some of these guys fit in these new roles. And you have 
time here now to maybe make the necessary tweaks to putting guys who maybe have not had as much success in, in their new roles in this three, three, five into better positions to succeed. Um, and, and whether that means going back to a three, four, what do you have to lose at this point? I mean, this, the, the switch to the three, three, five, that was, that was, I I've always, and again, I didn't get back on the UVA football bus until the summertime, but I've always been of the, the assumption the way I've understood it was that they made the switch to the three, three, five because of how poorly the, the pass defense played last year. And from that, from that perspective, from a yards per game perspective, anyway, it's worked. They're, they're giving up less than 250 a game through the air this year compared to the 304 per game that they were giving up last year. But you've essentially uh, sacrificed both pressure on the quarterback and run defense. And again, I know there, there are some personnel issues injury-wise, like Adib. If they had Adib Atarawa on the defensive line, that would help as well, obviously. Um, but, but, but they've sacrificed run defense. They've sacrificed pressure on the quarterback. They've sacrificed some of these other things in an effort to improve that pass defense. And it's some of those other things that have kind of hurt them this year. Um, quarterbacks have had more time and that's, what's led to some of these big games. You mentioned Sims last week. We saw it with hall this past week out in a BYU. Obviously Sam Howell had that big game. The uh, Hartman. Hartman wasn't sacked either. Sam Hartman, the quarterback from uh, Wake Forest that night. They're just not generating the kind of pass rush they need to, and they need to figure out may maybe a way to to get more, even if it's not sacks, just more pressure. They're, they're only getting like seven or eight uh, hurries per game this year, let alone, I think they've had four games without any sacks. So they're just, there just needs to be, these, these are the options. It's not like you can go out and make a trade make make a bunch of trades and upgrade at spots these are the guys you have utilize the guys you have in the best way possible i mentioned noah taylor earlier get him after the quarterback more not and 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 just try your get some of these other, elliot brown get him after the quarterback more nick jackson had the sack against duke maybe get him after the quarterback more just just find identify what these guys do best and put them in positions to, to do those things. And, and then to the other point that you made earlier, we both kind of mentioned is just, yeah, maybe, maybe get, get some younger guys on the field if they're ready. If, if you think they can help, uh, I, I am with you in that you don't make a move like that just for the sake of change. Uh, you don't want to put a first year guy out there in the secondary, if he's not ready and then he gets burned um, because number one, that's such a public breakdown and you, do, you don't want that to get into a guy's head and, and impact him long term. Um, but but then to the point about the coaching staff, I don't know. I don't know what you do there. I obviously, like you said, we're not going to advocate for any coaching changes, but but may, maybe some responsibilities are shifted again over the bye week. I don't know. It'll be interesting when we get to talk to Bronco on Monday to see if any kinds of Bronco. The thing that stood out to me that Bronco said after the game on Saturday night, early Sunday morning, he said uh, something to the effect of the coaching staff knows they have to be better down the stretch. And it's, it's very rare for Bronco to call out his guys, his coaching staff publicly like that. Mm -hmm. And that really, yeah. that really stood out to me when, and it was just that one remark. It was just one sentence at the end of an answer. And he just kind of tacked it on at the end. Um, I forget what the question was, mm -hmm. Uh, but he just kind of tacked on at the end and then there's the coaching staff. They know they need to be better too. And that really stuck with me uh, on, after that zoom as an indication that maybe something a little more drastic is at least in the conversation, whether it happens or not, we, yeah. we don't know, yeah. but it's at least in the conversation right now. Yeah. I think the most likely if we're, if we're going to look at it from a, if we're going to try to forecast it. Right. Um, I think the most likely eventuality, at least for now, seems to be Bronco taking a more active role in the defense. Now, depending on who you talk to, when you talk to him, you know, it, it sounds like that's kind of happened on some level. But I do not believe that we've seen Bronco calling plays. Um, now, you could argue, and and people constantly do, that 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 the play calling aspect is, is it's the most visible part, but it's not the most important part, right? It's the 
you know, what emphasis you're putting on in the, during the week and how, um, how much of your, um, how much time, right. Of a specific coach, you know, is putting into sort of the game plan and how much of the game plan is coming from that specific sort of, um, that sort of place, right? I think it's fair to say that the way that this thing typically works is that you have a handful of coaches who are making recommendations and there's conversations and that's sort of the um, the way it sort of comes together. But that doesn't mean to to that to that point that Bronco has been as large a voice in that sort of conversation as maybe he could be. Um, I think it's fair to say that Bronco was trying his best to be in that CEO role, right, where he oversees the entire organization. He's not as much you know, directly hands-on the way, you know, a COO might be. Um, but he he did his best, I think, to trust his people to do what needed to be done. Now, he has, he has precedent, right, in terms of understanding, like, hey, this is not working and we need to do something different. Um, he's done that in his past, in his, in his previous um, experience as a head coach. He certainly did that last year, right? Um, we can argue whether or not the changes that he made to the staff and the assignments and stuff, whether it did or has not, you know, impacted or made the, you know, the defense significantly or consistently better, but he made those changes. He, he did something other than just keep on keeping on. I I don't think you can come out of the bye week and just keep on keeping on. I do think the most likely um, is probably that he's got a more active uh, role in the defense. I do think you're going to probably see some personnel changes. Um, I don't know if that's as, as big as changing schemes, Um you, you do have a lot of experienced pieces. If you think about this defense as a whole, yeah, you got a couple of younger guys who are playing, you know, you know, their first significant reps and such, their first significant time. But if you went back to a 3-4, you've only got a few pieces that have not played in that, right? Um, you know, you think about, obviously, Anthony Johnson uh, hadn't been there. But a lot of the other guys, they have, um, you know. And maybe, a lot of the guys, too, like they've talked about how, the, the switch to three three five in terms of responsibilities and assignments and, and roles on the field has mostly impacted the linebackers. Uh, the secondary guys, most I know Anthony Johnson's new, but it, the sense I get is that corners, their responsibilities wouldn't change terribly much or haven't changed very much in the three four versus the three three five. It's mostly the responsibilities and roles of the linebackers. So, and I think, and honestly, I think that's a good, that's a really good uh, place to sort of drill into this. Like one of the problems that I see with Virginia's defense, and again, my illustrious career as a defensive coordinator. (laughs) Okay. Um, Cause I, I always, you know, like you're like, just because you you haven't done, it doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. Um, But when I watch Virginia's defense, what I see uh, is twofold. I see issues trying to defend the pass, which is something, you know, since you took over, I mean, we, I feel like we, we did nothing but talk about that like all August, you know, like this defense has been giving up a whole lot of passing yards. That's something that you would think that they've got to, you know, um, shore up a little bit. And that has not been the case this year. But what has been different this year has been just how bad they've been against the run. They just have not consistently been able to get off the field on third down. They haven't been able to, to run fits have been an issue. Certainly they've had games where things were better. Right. But that seems to largely be driven by the opponents they're playing not necessarily by their own play if that makes any sense right uh, I don't want to take away anything from them for for the performances they've had this year where they were where they were more sound those count right they 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 happened what's frustrating about that is that they happened and haven't happened more often right I don't think what BYU was doing the other night was you know a whole lot of smoke and mirrors right um, my guess is is that you probably saw you know Algier coming right like that wasn't a surprise and at some point in that game, I mean, my man had 29 carries for 266 yards and five scores. At some point in that game, you just knew they were going to give him the rock, right? It, Virginia still couldn't stop it. And I think that was one of the things that was most disheartening about it is knowing, like, hey, the kid's going to get the ball and he's going to get the first down. You know, the kid's going to get the ball and he's still going to pick up, you know, seven, eight yards. Um, and I also think, too, on some level, and, I mean, we can, you know, we, we're certainly – really bagging on the defense here. One of the downsides, and this sounds ridiculous, but it makes sense to me. One of the downsides of having an offense that can score in two, three, four plays is that the defense, it doesn't get a big break. Right. Yeah. Um, And that's one of the, one of the things about complimentary football, right? Um, When Bronco and them used to play, you know, so fast, right. They understood the toll that that would take on the defense. And so they prepared the defense to be on the field, 
more, you know, to not have as many gaps, right, between when they were off and when they went back on. They understood going into it, hey, the offense is going to go fast. Either they're going to score fast or they're going to punt quick, right? It's going to be one of those things. Um, the reality for the defense is, is that just means that you don't get a whole lot of time down. And I feel like there is a lot of, you know, ha- at least for, for many games this year, they have, they have definitely had time and games where they have um, substituted more. But it's been a whole lot of Iron Man stuff, right? Guys, you know, you got to man that spot. You got to man that post. And the reality, too, is that depth has played an issue, right? They've got a lot of experience, and, but it's very top heavy. And a lot of these younger guys who came in in the last, you know, recruiting class or two haven't had a chance to really kind of get their feet wet because a lot of the dudes that were in front of them have been here forever, right? A lot of these guys who were in front of them came back for another year. Um, now, that's not to say that Virginia would have been like better off if like Mandy Alonzo hadn't come back or something, but I'm just right. trying to make the point that like, one of the weird sort of side effects, no pun intended, of, of the COVID season and the, and the impact that that had and the pandemic had on college athletics and sort of the idea with guys coming back and there's, you know, you can, you know, have an extra year and stuff is that there, it, it, there has been a complete disruption of the natural sort of flow of, of succession. And that's something succession planning is like Bronco Mendenhall's like end all be all. I mean, my dude yes. talks about it all the time, but now there's something else in there and how they navigate that. They've done such a great job with transfers, right? Of bringing in guys who are, who can assimilate really quickly to the culture, uh, learn the playbook, understand what's being asked of them and then go out and execute it. Right. Um, Right now they're struggling because they've almost got these guys who like have been there too long. And so now you're almost in a spot where you have all these younger dudes who should be probably getting a little more burn than they've gotten. But the reality is like there were just so many guys in front of them. Um, And so I'm not sure how you, you know, how you get, how do you get guys ready when they can't get snaps, when they can't get seat time Um, and they can't continually because, you know, they're dudes who have been there forever. Um, but I also think too, if you let's and I and I want to kind of take a little bit of a step back and look into the bigger picture here, which is, I personally don't think that you can really think a whole lot about the coastal, um, about beating Virginia Tech, even considering where the Hokies are right now, until you figure out what how you can get the defense to be serviceable, right? The, no the, doubt. Yeah, I, I think over the course of the season, what you've seen is that Bron- Brendan Armstrong has been so good that the defense just basically has to have a handful of stops, and they're going to win the game, right? Unless you get into a situation like you did the other night where there were some mistakes on offense, it didn't flow as easily at first, and there was a big lead real quick. What that did for BYU, Virginia not being ahead of them early, it put BYU in a position where they can continue to run the ball. And Virginia has not been in that spot a lot this season where teams could just continue to bludgeon you. But every time it's happened, it's been bad for the Hoos. Like, it's been real bad. So I kind of think in a global sense – you can talk about all the other issues, but until the defense does something to change the trajectory, it's going to be rough, regardless of you know how healthy Armstrong is or is not. What do you think? Yeah, and I think I think we saw on Saturday night the value of just a couple of turnovers, a couple of takeaways, because the BYU got those three extra possessions, especially with short fields from those takeaways, and they were able to capitalize on them. And it's UVA's defense again. One of the things they haven't done a whole lot of this year is force a lot of takeaways, get a lot of turnovers to get the offense extra possessions. When they have done that, the offense is capitalized. And so, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I said it at the outset that get figuring out a way to just, just, I think serviceable, is that the word you use? Cause I think that's a good word for it. Yeah. Just because if they do, they, we saw like the Louisville game, the defense, it, it didn't play great, but it got those critical stops in the fourth quarter when the offense needed to get the ball back to mount that comeback, the defense got those three and outs and got the ball back to the offense and allowed them to come back. Um, Miami, they came out and they played really well at the beginning of the Miami game. Remember Miami didn't convert a third down. I don't think until the third quarter, uh, they didn't get across midfield until halfway through the second quarter. If I remember correctly, uh, they just, and, and obviously that became a close tighter game late, but UVA was able to get out to the big lead in that game and get themselves a cushion because of the way the defense was able to get off the field and get them the ball back early in that game. That's they, they don't need to go out and pitch a shutout like they did against Duke. Um, like they did against William Mary. It's so crazy. I had someone mentioned this to me the other day. It's so crazy how this defense 
they have two shutouts this year, and then they have games like the Carolina and the BYU games in the same season. It's just, it's just such vastly different ends of the spectrum. It's crazy, but but not to get too far off 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 the off uh, the road here. Yeah, they just they just need to get do enough, especially if Brennan Armstrong's able to come back and be even like seventy five percent of who he's been for this season. The defense just needs to get a couple of those key plays. Uh, I go back to Joey Blunt's interception, the one that counted in the uh, in the Georgia Tech game in the second quarter. We talked about this last week too, but Georgia Tech was in a position to go in and score again and probably have the lead at halftime. And instead, Joey Blunt makes that play, gets the ball back to the offense, and a couple of plays later, Wicks breaks that 70-yard touchdown run. UVA moves in front and stayed in front for the rest of the game. Uh, that's just, just timely plays. Bronco uses that phrase a lot, critical plays at critical times. That's all. I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and say that's all they have to do is make key plays at key times. But that's how they've won games: is just enough times getting off the field, just enough times getting a stop on third down, just enough times making forcing a turnover, making a big play. And that's with with the 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 level the offense is playing at. That's all they need to do. And and we've seen what happens when they're not able to do that in the Carolina game, in the Wake game, and now this past weekend in the BYU game. And it's even when the, the offense scored 49 points and lost, that's the most in a loss in UVA history. That, that, that's wild to me too. And, and, and it just kind of tells you the offense put up 49 points um, after three and out and an interception on its first two possessions on Saturday. They scored 35 points in the second quarter alone, and they still lost that game. That, that, that to me tells you all you need to know about how much the defense has struggled and how much of a difference just one or two more stops can make for this defense, for this whole team. I think one thing we have not talked about that I think needs to be talked about, and as great as Brennan Armstrong has been, as I mean, I just, I always thought he would, and we talked about this on previous pods, so my apologies for those of you who <laughs> listen, um, but I, I, I always thought he would be a good fit. I, I don't think I ever got to like, you know, would lead the nation in passing and break UVA single season passing record, you know, with multiple games to play good, at least not right away. I mean, maybe as a senior or something, but you know, his command of the offense, his comfort in it, his, his ability to sort of, um, you know, make the right read and get the ball out. You know, he seemed you know, for most of the season, has as as he still had his moments, you know, his little hiccups here and there with, uh, you know, throwing that like, what are you doing sort of interception, but by and large, he's been really, really good. Okay, and <laughs> very, very UVA uh, there, and right, um, <laughs> but can we just talk about this receiving core for a hot second? All right, Dontavian Wicks four catches, a buck twenty-five, and a score. Right, he averaged thirty-one point three yards per catch. Um, Keaton Thompson had nine catches for 91 yards and a touchdown. Jelani Woods, three for 68 and a score. Billy Kemp, um, three for 38 and a score. Rashawn Henry had three and 36. Um, It's hard to look at an offense that is doing what Virginia's offense has done this season and certainly what they did in Provo, right, and then look at it and say, like, oh, this could be better. I'm looking at his receiving court and I'm thinking, I don't even know where you really realistically would put Lavelle Davis, but I know that what what Marcus Hagan's – and and this offense have done with these guys. Do you remember the preseason narrative when they signed um, the kid from Marshall, Artie Henry? Right, um, was that they needed him because they were you know they you know they didn't have Davis and they were going to be you know they 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 were going to need some some bodies and such and such and such. And now you look at all the playmakers they have. Right, you get Thompson and Wicks and Woods and Kemp and Henry, and then you can look at guys like um, Malachi. Um, Fields, who's not, you know, was didn't get a catch in this game, but I mean, you think about the number of dudes that they have, and they also have the six seven kid who, you know, for by and large, just you know, erupted on the scene last year, that they could add to the mix. It's incredible the options that Virginia has a receiver, and how Virginia went from being a school where, you know, to, as we talked about before, right, you know, the ex- lack of explosive plays with consistency, um, you know, always the Cavaliers have always had, you know, a handful of dudes who could play. 
right? The question was like, how much could they produce? And these dudes produce. And I think that's the thing that is as great as Armstrong is. And I don't want to take a single thing from him. I thought it was really cool, really classy the other day when he got, um, was it when he got added to the um, Davey O'Brien or forget which, I forget which, what it was, but he basically tagged like all of the dudes on the offensive line, all the, you know, playmakers uh, at receiver um, in like when he shared that, that thing on, on, I think it was in his Instagram. Um, so, I mean, I think he's aware that like he's, he's where he is because he's played well and also because he's had receivers who have really done a great job for him. Um, but I just think it's worth talking about just how ridiculous it is that Virginia has this sort of just embarrassment of wealth at receiver. I, I, I don't know. Mate, did you expect them to be as good at, at, at that position and as deep and as multiple as they've been throughout the season? I don't think any, I don't think anybody could have. Could they? I mean, like who who was an absolute known commodity among that group that you just listed coming into the season? Billy Kemp. They knew that Billy Kemp had good hands, was reliable, could make plays for them on third down. Uh, and and a, like I said, a reliable target for for Armstrong. But beyond that, I mean, Rashawn Henry, all he did last year was catch touchdowns, which is isn't the worst quality to have. But. But the hope was obviously, and the narrative about him coming into the season over the summer was that he really put in the work in the offseason and seemed a lot more comfortable in year two in this program. Uh, Jelani Woods, obviously, there was so much excitement about Jelani Woods uh, after what Poljan was able to do at tight end last year. And then and then Woods just seemed like Poljan to the next level in terms of potential playmakers. So, like, the potential was there and the excitement was there. But he still had to go out and prove it. And then same with Wicks. Wicks, obviously, remember in the summer, we'd see all the highlights from practice of him getting deep, getting open behind the defense, making these plays. And you're like, okay, this is encouraging, but are they just cherry picking the best plays? And is it is it possible that he's, you know, obviously when you're when when you're producing in-house these videos you're going to show the best plays you're not going to show wicks maybe running bad routes or dropping balls so and i even go i even remember uh and, and we've talked a lot about this previously too uh with wicks there was a lot of excitement about him in 2019 that freshman year uh there was a lot of long-term excitement about him and then obviously he just didn't play last year because of the foot injury but you didn't know, was he hundred percent back from that? Was that going to impact him as well? And, and, but, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I didn't see, I, I mean, there was obviously a lot of excitement and potential and, but, but these guys had to go out and prove it and they've done nothing but go out and prove it basically from the, from, I don't know, the second half, the, the, the second quarter on of that William and Mary game after the slow start against William and Mary, they just kind of, got things I was it their third possession or whatever it was in the William and Mary game Armstrong hit wicks for a couple of passes down the field and they've just been humming as an entire offense ever since Woods had the slow game in the opener and then that first possession against Illinois they got him involved right away and he showed what he can do and he's obviously been a big part of things ever since Henry had the monster game against Louisville he's made plays down the field uh, Malachi Fields had the big play against Louisville and they've thrown, they've put it up to him in the end zone a few times. He just has not been able to make that play yet. And that to me is where this is where it gets interesting when you start talking about, okay, coming off the bye week, maybe Lavelle Davis is in the conversation now. They don't, and we've said this before, they don't necessarily need Lavelle Davis given all the options at their disposal right now. But at the same time, say you're, I don't know, first and 10 at the 17 going in. And isn't it nice to have a big target like that in the red zone that maybe you can throw it up to, to go make a play. You find packages where you can get him involved and do what he can do right now, as opposed to needing him to be 100% ready to go full go as a part of this offense, you just work him in, in situations where he can help. That's, that's, that's especially given the, the stakes of these last couple of games here, the Notre Dame game, obviously a big game. And then, two huge games in the coastal division to finish the year. If you can go out, that is to me like going out and training for a guy at the trade deadline who can just help you a little bit more and make you that much better. If Davis is at a point where he can contribute like that. So, um, but here's a question I have for you um, given the season he has had, because I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. At what point does the conversation start about maybe Dontavion Wicks 
thinking about the NFL this year. I know some people have asked the question about Brennan, but the way Wicks has played this year, it's, is that maybe part of the conversation here moving forward? All right, let's. I, 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 that's a great question. I want to answer that at the end of explaining what I'm about to say, which is <laughs> that um, I think your point about you know Lavelle and you know what you can sort of you know what you can kind of do with him, so to speak, right? I think that when you when you have a talent like that and you have a guy who can you know who has a bright future, you know, at the next level, I think you you got to be mindful first off. Yeah, how ready without is, a doubt, you know, and I think that so many people have been because he I mean, you never saw him like even the spring game. He wasn't like he wasn't like over there on crutches. You know what I mean? Like I remember thinking like, dang, did the dude actually not really tear anything? Like what's happening? Um, I, I think for a lot of people, though, there has been this, you know, deafening, continuous march towards what felt inevitable, which is like he was going to come back soon. He was going to play. He was going to play. And it's hard because, like, as we talked about the other night, you know, back at the last home game, and we're watching him on the field warming up. And, I mean, he looks, you know, uh, if he was wearing, like, if he had been wearing, paint, you know, the, 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 because a lot of the guys come out with the pants as opposed to just shorts or whatever. If he had been wearing that instead of shorts, I would have thought, he, yeah, he looks like he's ready to go. Um, so, first off, is he healthy? You know, um, maybe he's not quite fully 100% back, but if he's cleared to, to run and he's cleared to cut and he's cleared to jump, okay. Because even just having him on the field, right? Imagine like if you are a defense trying to contend with UVA's offense, and then they roll Lavelle Davis and split him out wide. What are you oh, gonna yeah. do, right? What are you gonna do when you have to cover Wicks, Thompson moving all over the place, Kemp moving all over the place, Woods, and then all also Davis? I, I mean that just just having him there, just the the it's like a um. You know, it's it's like a point bump just from his existence, right? Um, and and naturally, you're going to put him in positions where, you know, he's going to make plays that that he can make, right? You're probably not asking him to do a whole lot of heavy lifting. Um, you know, maybe you know he has a pitch count or whatever. Um, but I do think that as you think about this offense and as you look at not just where he is in terms of his return, but like you mentioned, Wicks is in terms of his you know his stardom. I mean. I can I could totally see you know him deciding to to go ahead and take it to the next level, um, but I could also see you know a guy who who has really only played this one season right um, you know how much you know what's his status what's his what's his you know what's his um, potential um, if he puts it you know he has a full season another full season he does have some injury concerns and i think that when you start talking about draft stuff you always have to be mindful that like that pro folks are always leery of dudes who have ever been hurt it doesn't matter what right so like lavelle having two acls right um you know wicks has 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 been hurt and he you know this is his first really productive season i could absolutely see him testing those waters uh, and seeing what's what um but at the same time, I, I almost wonder because of the position he plays and because like right now, I think he I think he is he is doing what he's doing because he is a freak of nature. Right. He's a very good receiver. What happens when he has more time to really hone his craft? How you know, like his route running and, you know, his um, not just, you know, his his as athleticism, but his timing and stuff like there's a lot that can that I, I think is still there. Like there's a lot of, when you have that much clay, it's really easy to keep making it better. You know what I mean? Like when you can, when you have that much excess and you can keep, ch you know, chiseling away at it, that dude is just scary. F good. I mean, he's, he's everything you need in a receiver. Um, that, that ball he caught over the two dudes at George, against Georgia tech was one of the most incredible catches. And that's like what one of like five that he's had this year. Um, you know, the one at Miami, Heck, he had the one against BYU. Um, you know, he basically caught between his calf muscles. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, I, I I think I could totally see it, but at the same time, I think a guy like that, because of his ex, you know his his relative lack of experience, as you know, as quote unquote much you know lack of experience as you can have when you've played this many snaps this season, um, could totally see it. Could totally see it. The last thing before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about the running game, because if there's one place on the offensive side of the ball that it still gives me some um, some heartburn. It's the fact that Virginia can't seem to figure out what to do with his running game. 
I'm not going to tell. I'm, there are some folks I've seen out there who said this, and I think it's kind of ridiculous that like, well, you're putting Brendan in, in too many tight, you know, tough spots, and it was bound to happen. He was going to get hurt. Like, if you go back and watch those couple of plays, like he didn't take like a direct shot to his ribs. Like he didn't get blown up. You know, like if that's indeed you know what he's dealing with and whatnot, as he as he said when he came over, like he it's not because like he was doing anything reckless, basically, right? He just got hurt playing football. Right. It's a you know, it's obviously a pretty violent sport and people get hurt. That being said, I do wonder what Virginia's offense could be like, at least in terms of, you know, picking them up when maybe Armstrong and the wide receivers aren't making all the plays. Right. Because and I've told you this in the press box and I'll say it here on the show. Devin Darrington deserves more burn. He just absolutely deserves to have the ball more often. And I and I understand when you have the nation's leading passing passer that you you just want to let him cook. You want the ball in his hands, and I get it. But like you you got to have some change of pace. And I really would like to see them coming out of this bye week, being able to to not just say, okay, we're going to run the ball some more. I want them to make a concerted effort to do it, to do it in the right spots, and not just abandon it at times. I think if, if you if you ask me to grade you know the offense and, and where Robert and I is this year, I mean he he's obviously got an A. I mean, he's he, there were some of these games have just you know, he's wonderful calls. Um, I just think that the running game is the missing link, and as hard as that is to say about a team that just put up forty nine points, um, you know there have been times this year where the offense sputters a little bit, and that's because you know these deep plays, these big you know chunk plays are not happening. And I just really think that if they could figure out a way to find that sort of steady run game that can support it, I think that's good for them. I think it makes him even harder to defend, and I really think Darrington has earned that. Now, it was pretty clear on that hit the other night when he fumbled that Tyler Papa took a shot to the head, regardless of whether or not it was or was not targeting. Um, I would be—I think that's his second one this season, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, we we got to wait and yeah. see what his status is. So, Devin might get this by default. I have not seen—I um, mean, um, Hollins didn't get a carry this week. I believe he was there. He was available for the uh, Georgia Tech game. Um, but I personally, I would like to see more D- Devin Darrington uh, and just to see what he can do. What are your thoughts on the running game? Well, I thought it was interesting earlier when you were rattling off the stats from the BYU game and you said UVA only put up 216 yards of rushing. I mean, obviously, in comparison to what BYU did and some of the other numbers from that game, uh, you know, how, and I mean, I'm not calling you out on this. I just think it's funny because there have been so many games over the years where 216 yards rushing would be a storyline for UVA coming out of that game. That would be, uh, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That would yeah. be a big number and, and, and a big, you know, cause for, you know, oh, look, they they leaned on the run a little bit more in this game. But to your point about Darrington, I mean, I I, I don't think anybody disagrees with you that, that Devin Darrington should probably be a part of this offense more moving forward. It's just the numbers are there. And also just when you watch him run, you know it's Devin Darrington who has the ball because he just runs with such aggression, just runs with such – there's just like an electricity almost to it when, 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 when he gets the ball. When he, when he took that ball, what was it, 49 yards or whatever the run was, yeah, yeah, on set, there's, there's just a certain energy level to the way he runs, and, and it, it, it brings a certain degree of excitement to to the play you can tell he's excited to have the ball in his hands and he's excited to have an opportunity to potentially make a play not that other guys aren't but like he's it's almost visibly uh it's almost palpable the excitement that that Devin Darrington has when he gets these opportunities and he's made plays he's 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 broken a few runs the 49 yard is obviously the biggest but he he keeps his legs moving. He picks up yards. The, the whole rush offense has done a good job this year of the the run running numbers aren't bad. There's just not a lot of volume to it. And and you had mentioned earlier about you know wanting to see Anai maybe go to the run a little bit more obvious uh, in situations where where it would make sense to go to the run. I think I think the problem is Robert and I doesn't agree with you and I or anybody else on what the proper situation to run the ball is. And what he thinks the proper situation to run the ball is, I don't know. Uh, he obviously isn't a guy who agrees with the philosophy philosophy of riding the hot hand with a running back. Because if he was, I think we'd see Devin Darrington get more than two touches in a game. 
the, the Duke game, he only had six touches, I think it was, or six snaps in that game. Um, it's, it, it's clear that, that an eye just doesn't look at the run game, the traditional run game through the same prism as the rest of us. Um, and I don't know if, if we'll ever be privy to exactly what his thought process or his philosophy is when it comes to the run, but yeah, there've obviously been so many situations, um, this year. I, was it the Georgia tech game that they were throwing the ball late and yeah, yeah it, it, and then they went that, that drive Darrington came in, had a couple of nice runs. Those were his first couple of touches of the game. Then they went right back to throwing the ball for a couple mm-hmm. of snaps. And it's yep. like, why are you throwing the ball? Yep. And then Darrington ultimate- had three runs for 22 yards. He averaged 7.3 yards per carry, but he only carried it three times in that game. Yeah. Along a 14. And then they got Keaton involved in the run game later in that drive. And they ultimately scored on the touchdown throw to Rashawn Henry. So it's one of those situations where it's like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Okay. You scored tip your cap to Robert and I, but it, I mean, what if they hadn't scored on that drive and they gave the, you know, with the way that game ended up, it looked, it certainly felt like it was well in hand at that point. And the touchdown pass to Henry was just kind of the icing on the cake, but it wound up being the difference in that game. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's true. You know, that's true. Uh, What, what if they hadn't scored on that drive or, and what if they'd only gotten a field goal on that drive and given the ball back or worse, like I said, not scored at all, and giving the ball back to Georgia Tech with more time on the clock, given the way they were able to come back. Uh, and, you know, the whole onside kicks is a whole other story for another time. But, but yeah, I, I definitely think if there's one thing you can point to, and again, like you said, it's crazy when you look at the numbers for this offense to, to be it, – it feels like you're nitpicking. But it's like I told the guys from BYU the, the, that I had talked to last week, it's like – you look at the numbers on paper for this offense and you think, man, Robert and I is the best offensive coordinator in the country. But when you're watching these games unfold in real time and some of the decisions that are made and, 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 you know, just, yeah, decisions that are made offensively, you're like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? And ultimately they haven't come back to bite him for the most part this season, but that doesn't mean they won't down the stretch against some, pretty good teams. Um, so I don't know. I long story short, I agree with you 100% that they could absolutely get Devin Darrington in particular and the running game in general, more involved in the offense. Yeah. Um, we, I mentioned this at the jump that I didn't know if this was posting on Wednesday or Thursday. Damon, is this posting on Wednesday or Thursday? Cause I kind of, I we need do, to tell the people <laughs> we can do Thursday if you want. All right. In that case, we can stick you with the this, typical Thursday routine. Yeah, that's good. If you, if you're listening to this and, um, <laughs> If you're listening to this and some crazy stuff happened on Wednesday, it's not our fault. We recorded it on Tuesday. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's a, a good place to put a pin in it. Um, I, I think that we will we will have a season opener next week for basketball, and then we will record on Wednesday. So we'll actually get a chance to not just talk about um, sort of where um, where the Cavaliers were going into the season, but we'll be able to talk to, them, talk to you a little bit about like where they are. Um, frankly, I, I, I don't know – and, and I'm just going to give the quickest synopsis here because there is so much uncertainty about the basketball squad, like and not uncertainty in terms of, I mean, like I think that we all sort of like know who the pieces should be, but like, it's going to look so different compared to what it was last year. This is going to be one of the weirder sort of starts of the season. And I'm almost kind of glad that it worked out that we're going to have a game and then a chance to talk about it. Um, because, you know, with, with Gardner and my cousin Armand, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, an interesting season because I think this is going to be much more vintage Virginia basketball, but we got to wait and see it. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that, you know, you're, you're almost like sort of tempting fate. If you come out and you say, Oh, well, you know, they're going to get back to grinding people down. And then you, you, you know, you see that picture that's, that sort of inadvertently got leaked from the um, closed door scrimmage against Georgetown. It's 83 47 Virginia shot, like, you know, whatever it was from three, um, you know, and you're like, oh, wow, maybe maybe they, they can do a lot more. Maybe Georgetown is just terrible. But anyway, we will get into all of that next week. Um, but I do think that's a good place to put a pin in it. I first off want to thank everybody out there for um, supporting the show. If you're somebody who found it through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. And if you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs. Um, we appreciate your um, your time. Now, if you are somebody who's found the pod, hasn't given a look at the website yet, check us out at CavsCorner.com. Uh, let's see. 
Damon is rolling out the preseason uh, one-on-ones. I love the coach speak. I love the way you 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 frame that for the series. Uh, he's talked to Jason Williford. He's talked to Kyle Getter. Um, so definitely check those out. The PFF grades are up. Take two was up. Um, you know, obviously it's Tuesday, so we haven't gotten too deep in it. But yeah, plenty of stuff coming between now and obviously next week when when Virginia welcomes Notre Dame to town. And um, it's also media day tomorrow. With that's Wednesday right. with Tony Bennett. That's right. So we will we will have plenty of coverage uh, of that as well. Um, I, I look very much forward to how much Tony doesn't say tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know what, if you're listening to this and he said a whole lot and you've already read Damon's you know, recap of it, hey, more power to you. Um, so, yes, definitely give that all a look. Um, so, yeah, want to thank, again, everybody out there for supporting the show. want to thank Damon for coming on tonight and uh, on, on an off schedule um, and giving me some time. I very much appreciate it and appreciate all that he does. So for Damon Dillman, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. 